0: Hi, this is Rob Cartledge, and we are doing a study through the book of Ephesians. You can visit me at All Alright everybody, turn to Ephesians. We're going to continue on in our Ephesians study. So, 417, and it says this, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus.' You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, as I said before, this is a continuing study that we're doing, verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Firstly, we're just going to break down those verses. So this is the overview of chapter four, verses seventeen to twenty-four. I've called the sermon "God's Image Bearers." That we are God's image bearers. We bear His image in the sense of not just the physical features, which is what we when we're created in the likeness of God, also in the sense of the Holy Spirit being in us, and therefore God is in us, and we. Uh, uh, become a bearer of his image spiritually as well as physically does that make sense? and also mentally from our creative abilities and all those things that we've been given so verse 17 says that we should not live like the heathen it's encouraging us not to live like the heathen no no it's I'm using that term because it's the Greek is heathen in this it says the Gentiles but what it's meaning is is those that don't live according to the the will of God, basically. They're outside of the will of God. Hold on one second. I'm just going back on that. So I tell you this, and I insist on it. He insists on this, and I think that's a really important point, that he insists that we do not live like the heathen. And there's many reasons why, and one of the reasons is that you can lose your place in heaven if you continue to live like the heathen. And this is important to understand. And I know there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians out there that will argue with me on this point. They'll say, you're once saved, you're always saved. You cannot lose your salvation no matter what you do. Even though the Bible is so clear that that's not true, there is so many scriptures. I did a sermon on it, once saved, always saved. And uh, I only pulled up just a few, a handful of scriptures. But there are so many more just about everywhere I read in the New Testament. It tells us to depart from sinful ways, to resist the sin nature, to walk in holiness, to walk in... And always with a warning. Yet these once saved, always saved advocates, they just are preaching a false gospel and deceiving Christians galore. And that's why the church is filled with you know, sexual immorality and impurity, debauchery, sin. Some of them, and, and even in, back in these days, they were saying uh, that you were sinning even... To a greater degree than the heathen were sinning. You know, and, and in the church, there, there's so many that sin at a greater level than even the atheists of the world. You know, so we really got to take these warnings clearly. I think they're there for a purpose to keep us walking as Christians, to keep us walking in a holy lifestyle. Verse 18 says that the heathen are separated from God, and verse 19 says they indulge in every form of evil. And then it goes on and says in verse 20 that we are set apart. The moment we accept Christ as Lord, we are set apart as in service to God. Verse 21 says we were taught in Christ that all this teaching comes from Christ and it's in Christ that we are getting taught these things. Verse 22 says to put off your old self, which is being corrupted. And verse 23 says to put on the new attitude to take on a new attitude, to have a, a different attitude towards living. Not an anything-goes attitude, no-restrictions attitude, which is what most people don't they don't want to be told what to do. They do not want to have any restrictions in life. If they want to do something really terrible, they want to have the freedom to do that. Now, in our old life, yes, we had the freedom to do that, but the moment you accept Jesus as the Lord and Saviour, you sort of have a conscience about that, and you go, oh, i better be careful. Why? What's holding you back? The thing that holds us back is the fear of God. If we truly fear God, we will stop sinning because we'll know there'll be consequences in following through with those actions. Do you know what I'm saying? And verse 24 says to put on the new self. Put on the new self in his image. And remember, we're his image bearers. Now, we should bear his image. That means we've got to put on a new self every day. Amen? Amen. I'm going through the, using the Amplified just to get more from these verses. So Ephesians 4.17, if you keep your Bibles open, you, I know you just close everything. If you keep your Bibles open, you can just compare these verses so that you can see just how much more is in the Amplified. Uh, Ephesians 4.17, it says this, So this I say, and solemnly testify in the name of the Lord as in his presence that you must no longer live as the heathen or the Gentiles do in their perverseness, in the folly, in the vanity and the emptiness of their souls and the futility of their minds. Now, the Amplified goes in, grabs the Greek and pulls forth more words that gets a fuller meaning of the single word that the Greek would use. When, obviously, the word that they drew from the Greek, which was for perverse, also... Relates to folly, vanity, emptiness of their souls and futility. So the amplifier puts them all together. makes it difficult to read when you're trying to just read it as a reading Bible. But as a study Bible, as a reference Bible, like in, in this sort of a set, setting, it's fantastic, because we get so much more of the Greek out. We must no longer live as the heathen do in their perverseness, in their folly, in their vanity, in the emptiness of their souls and the futility of their minds. The definition of a heathen is a person who does not belong to a widely held religion, especially the Christian faith. So someone who's outside of any religious system that will put legal requirements around a person. not saying the Christian faith does that because the Christian faith encourages us to walk in the spirit and if we walk in the spirit, we obey the whole of the law. So it says walk in the spirit, stay in the spirit, and then you will fulfil the whole of the law then you're walking under grace. But people think they're walking under grace, but they don't walk in the Spirit. They claim, yeah, I'm walking under grace. Oh, yeah, really? How come you're doing all these terrible things? Oh, but I'm under grace. I'm, if I do them, God's going to forgive me. No, the Bible doesn't say you're, you can sin all you want. There's a free license. Go out there. Have a good time. Sin up as much as you want, and you're covered by grace. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says walk in the Spirit, and then you're under grace, and and then you won't sin because you're in the Spirit. Because if you're truly in the Spirit, you will not stop sinning because the Spirit does not sin. You know what I'm saying? That's that Repentance in Sin No More sermon I did a few months ago. So Paul was facing a pretty serious issue in the church when he wrote these words to the Ephesians. He wrote these words. Remember, if, if those Ephesians weren't having these sort of problems, would he have written that in his letter to them? Why would he face an issue... In the church of Ephesus, if that issue didn't exist among the believers, you know, they'd be thinking, why is he writing this? We don't, we're not living like heathens, (laughs) you know what I mean? They would sort of feel offended. But the fact is, Paul had knowledge of what was going on there. He had to confront a situation, and that's why he came up with these words. And he was seeing an increase of heathenism and paganism in the church. Actually, many of the churches of which the apostles wrote to were exhorted to give up pagan ways. So many of the letters you'll read through the New Testament, there's always a section in many of them where they confront serious sin issues. Serious issues that existed in the church. And it's no different today, is it? You know, the same issues that existed in the first century, even though they said the first century is like the blueprint for the church, like as in the, you know, in some some scholars actually believe they were the perfect church, you know, because they, they were so committed and so faithful. They were martyred and they lived for Christ and it was they suffered persecution. They did not wane in their faith and all these sorts of things. Yet you read the New Testament, you get a very different insight into that. You go, hang on, they, they're suffering from many of the similar things we're suffering from because they're getting told to give up these evil practices that they're obviously getting in, in uh, involved with. So that's why it's these letters uh, are very helpful today, aren't they? As you read them, you get really affected by them because you think, gee, I'm, I'm living like that. I've got to change. Separate from God, Ephesians 4.18 says, Their moral understanding is darkened and their reasoning is beclouded. They are alienated, estranged, self-banished from the life of God with no share in it, and this is because of the ignorance, the want of knowledge and perception and willful blindness that is deep-seated in them due to their hardness of heart or to the insensiveness of their moral nature. Beclouded means to become obscure or muddled, so they're all mixed up in their head and they're beclouded. So the scripture tells us so much about the heathen unbelievers in this world. Uh, They are morally darkened. They have no morals. And a moral is concerned with the principles of right and wrong. If you're concerned with what's right and what's wrong, uh, these guys are darkened in their understanding. They're morally darkened. They don't see right or wrong. They can't discern the difference. And you're probably aware from, you know, just watching movies and stuff of of certain characters who are portrayed as guys that just really don't know how to do right. All they know how to do is wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know people that have just always tend to do the wrong thing rather than the right thing, and they're always in trouble with someone or something, you know, they're doing something wrong somewhere. They're morally darkened. Their reasoning becomes beclouded. They're muddled. They can't reason properly. They're alienated from God, so they're self-banished. They banish themselves from God. They don't want anything to do with God. They banish themselves away from God with no share in it. They don't want to share in it. How many people I've heard atheists said, if if heaven is full of you guys, I don't want to go there. They banish themselves from it. They have deep-seated ignorance. The actual word ignorance is agnosia in Greek. That's where they derive the word agnostic. They're willfully blind, in other words. If someone says they're agnostic, that's like they're nearly insulting themselves. What they're pretty well saying is, I'm willfully blind, and nothing you're going to tell me is going to help me to see. Because I can't see, and I'm not going to see, and I, I'm determined not to see. I choose not to believe it. You know, to believe it. It's, it's, that's it. They also, these people have hard hearts to their moral nature. Their moral nature is so darkened, as it said before, and they have a hard <coughs> heart in relation to it. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be shown the light. They don't want the light in their life. They'd rather stay in the dark. And this is all coming just from this one scripture. Heathen depravity. Paul expose upon the heathen nature continues, and he says this in Ephesians 4.19, In their spiritual apathy they have become callous and past-feeling and reckless and, and have abandoned themselves, a prey to unbridled sensuality, eager and greedy to indulge in every form of impurity that their depraved desires may suggest and demand. Pretty bad. He continues, so 6, they're spiritually apathetic. If you're apathetic, if you're lazy, you really you know, you. don't care. So spirituality, pff, I don't even want to even know about it. You start talking to me about it, I, I'm not interested. Don't talk to me about it. I'm not interested. You know, I've had, I've had uh, guys that I've, I've wanted to speak to uh, with them about Jesus and they they just say, just stop right there. I just want you to know I, I'm not an atheist. I'm not a religious person. I'm absolutely nothing. I just don't want to know. I'm not interested. Don't talk to me about it. And I think, well, at least they're honest. They, they have no preference or views or anything. They are, you know, not interested. Just shit, simply not interested. It's like, you know, if someone's in the soccer and another person's in the soccer and that person comes up, that's how they treat spiritual things. Oh, you like soccer? I don't like soccer. Don't talk to me about soccer because I couldn't really care less. You know? But should we treat spiritual matters like that? Like, An interest, like a hobby,
1: that
0: we're not interested in? Spiritual matters, well, the fact is we are spiritual creatures having a physical experience. We're not physical creatures having the occasional spiritual experience. We're spiritual first. God's created us as spirits, so we're spirits having a a physical experience. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, because I trust the Word of God more than any man or any atheist or any scientist, that when you die, your spirit continues. It sheds this body and it goes somewhere. And that's what I'm concerned is, with, is where do we go? Seven, they're callous and without feeling. They're callous. Callous is showing or having an insensitive and cool, uh, cruel disregard for others. A cruel disregard. That means not only do they, uh, when you say, good day mate, and they just you know, don't want to say good day back, they'll say something bad to you, taboo. You know, they'll say something rude to you. They're callous. You know, that's the sort of level of that. Without feeling. They don't care if they hurt you. They don't care what you feel. They don't care about the cat that they kicked when they walked along. Eight is they're abandoned to unbridled sensuality. Whatever they want sensually. If it feels good, that's what they want. And they don't care if they hurt people to get it. They don't care how many people they tread on. They just want that. 9 They are desiring every form of depravity and impurity. (laughs) How deep is this Greek, uh, the Amplified, how much it pulls out of the Greek on this verse is that they desire every form of depravity and impurity. That's shocking. Are we seeing that in this age? They saw it back then. How much worse is it today? I believe it's far worse today. So that's what we used to be. Probably not all of those things, but at least in part there were things that we were like that before we became completely Christian. So Ephesians 4.20, and I'm using the NIV just for this bit because I just didn't like the wording of the uh, Amplified for this verse. It says, but you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Aren't you glad we didn't come to know Christ or any of those depraved uh, ways of living life? We do not have a license to sin just because Jesus died for our sins. We don't have a license to sin anymore. Uh, Jesus died for our sins and this is the whole thing. We have to turn away from that old nature, that old way of thinking, that old attitude. All of those things should not be coming up in our new life in Christ. We are free from sin but we're not free to sin as I've said many times. So what does Christ demand from us? 1 Peter to 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So just as Jesus who called you, you didn't come to know Christ through any sinful things. You came to know Christ through his holiness. And as he is holy, so be holy in all you do. And remember, the disciples of Christ came to know Christ as the holy one whom they were to imitate. They lived with him. They saw his holiness. It was a holiness which never ceased. It was just pure, pure holiness. And that's why at the end of their uh, time with Jesus, they testified to his, his Godship because he lived a holy life before him. He lived with them three and a half years constantly. The disciples of Christ came to know Christ as the Holy One whom they were to imitate and they were to reproduce in those that followed them because all the disciples had followers later and they were to get them to imitate their lifestyle which was holiness, holy to the Lord, without sin. And if they did sin, they were to repent and come quickly back to God and walk in the Spirit. And then they taught their disciples to do that. Now what's happened in the 20th century is we're not teaching our disciples to do that in the church and the disciples are becoming sinful but still thinking they're under grace. But they've stepped out of the spirit, and you can tell when someone stepped out of the spirit. The moment they get into something incredibly sinful, they're out of the spirit. Doesn't mean they've lost their salvation yet. It means that they must repent. They must stay holy to God, and they've got to keep on coming back and looking to Him. Does that make sense? It's not. A, I'm not preaching a condemning message. I'm just telling you this is. There's this very simple process of stay, to stay in the spirit. It's not tough. I had one guy try to tell me that I was teaching exclusism. Exclusivism. It's hard to say that. Which means that I'm teaching an exclusive way to Christ that uh, no one else is teaching and that you have to follow my orders to get there sort of thing. I'm saying obviously you don't listen to many of my messages because I'm not teaching that. I'm teaching what the scriptures say. And the scriptures tell us that this is the way that you have to walk to be a Christian. And it makes perfect sense when you study it. Like, would anyone else in the world outside of Christianity expect a Christian to be anything but holy? Why do all the Catholic priests get condemned all the time? Because of their sins. They do sexual things they shouldn't do. They get condemned. The world condemns them. Do you know what I mean? If a Christian doesn't walk in holiness, then the world judges them makes a quick judgment you know God will still forgive them if they repent you know the world's very cruel to the to the church but we've got to remember the Bible tells us we've got to stay holy we've got to live holy we've got to walk in the spirit and if you don't teach this to your your followers, how are they uh, to know that this is the way to go. If they just think you're saved no matter what you do, you can't do anything that can stop you losing your salvation, Christians go, oh, awesome, I'm back in. Let me get back into some of that sin again. You know, well, that's that's the logical conclusion that most people come to. That's why I know uh, uh, quite a few people that uh, they're born again Christians, yet they get drunk all the time. How many times have I said this, guys? They get drunk all the time. They get stoned. They sleep around. They do all these things. And then they call themselves born-again Christians, and it's just, it does not wash. And the only reason they can live that life is because they believe that those things won't condemn them, because they're saved no matter what they do, because they're under grace. And that's why Jesus says, many and the word that was used in the Greek, I haven't got it here because I haven't done the study on this at this moment, but the word in the Greek for many means multitudes. He says, multitudes will stand before me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name? Didn't I testify for you? Didn't I live for you? Didn't I do all these different things? And Jesus said, well, get away from me, evil I never knew you. And, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, God gets to know his people if those people are filled with the Spirit. Because if the Spirit is in you, you are known by God because God is in you. If you're not walking in the Spirit, if you're living in sin, if you're walking by your sin nature and the Spirit doesn't go with you, you're deceived in thinking that you're... In the spirit, you're deceived to think that God knows you. You're deceived if you think that God knows you. If you're walking in your sin nature. Because God doesn't go with you there. Therefore, He's departed from you. He He's turning away from you. He doesn't want to know that side of you. He doesn't want to He's died for that. He condemned that in sinful man. He doesn't want any part of that anymore. Does that make sense? So I'm only teaching what the Bible teaches. I'm not teaching exclusivity. I'm teaching what the Bible teaches. If you think it's exclusive, it's because you've never heard it. <laughs> you know? Ephesians 4.21, as says this, Assuming that you have really heard him and been taught by him, as all truth is in Jesus, embodied, personified in him. What he's saying is he's assuming that these people had heard him and were taught in him. He's assuming him. Because remember, he just confronted these people uh, and told them, don't live by your heathen natures, your sin natures any longer. Stop living like that. And he listed what the heathens do, the really bad things that they do, right? And then he says, and I'm assuming, or if we go back, sorry, I'll just go back to this past verse, but you, but you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. So, And then he says, assuming, so he's, he's saying to all of them, he knows some of them have got to know Christ that way, but he says, I'm assuming that you have really heard him, and I'm assuming you've been taught in him. Actually, the word assuming, and we're going to study the word, uh, other translations translate it to if. If you have heard him and been taught by him. So if you haven't heard him and been taught by him, then therefore you won't be, you'll be still living like the heathen. That's what he's saying. And it's important to understand that it's interesting to note that the amplifier and the ESV derive the word assuming from the Greek word e, which means if. The NIV translates it surely and since, and the NLT since, but both of these are errors. It's not surely and since. It's if or assume. So the NAS and the King James are both correct in translating it to if, and the ESV and the um, amplified I right in sh- uh, translating it to assuming. But I reckon if is even a better word. If you come to know Christ that way. So e, followed by any verb, expresses a condition thought of as real or to denote assumptions, uh, i.e. viewed as factual for the sake of an argument. So that's what he's saying here. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because Paul was saying these things and then he put the if in there and the if... Is the, is the cruncher. You're saved if you follow these principles that I'm about to lay down. If you come to know Christ this way, you're going to be saved. If you don't come to know Christ this way, if you continue to live as a heathen, then you're not living by the guidelines of the Scriptures that he was laying down. Does that make sense? So Ephesians 4, 20-21 says, But how, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way, which is the NIV translation of it. And then the Amplified I added, assuming that you have really heard him and been taught by him as all truth is in Jesus, embodied and personified in him. So Paul assumed that the Ephesians had really been taught by him. But the truth of that assumption would be only evident after the judgment. So we must make sure that we come to know Christ the right way according to the truth that is in Jesus, who is the embodiment of all truth. Ephesians 4.22 says, strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off and discard your old, unrenewed self, which characterised your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires that spring from delusion. So strip yourself. See, this is what he's telling us. He's telling us to take off. That's another, the word um, that I think the NIV uses. Is that what it says there in the NIV? To put off your old self. Put off. Put off. Put off your old self. Which is that heathen pagan self. Put it off. That's where Christians don't put it off. What they do is they keep those old rags on, and then they put on the Christian rag on a Sunday and maybe on a Wednesday night or, or something. You know, but they keep the old clothes on. They've got to take them off and put on the new self. And discard of the old. Self, which has characterized your previous manner of life, which becomes corrupt through lusts and desires and all those things that we were talking about before. So time and again in in Scripture, the apostles exhort believers to resist sin and the lusts and pulls of the flesh. This is vitally important to understand because there is a strong teaching in the church that if we encourage believers to walk in holiness and if we use the warnings given in Scripture that we are advocating a work-based salvation. Where Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 10 or 9 to 10 that we are saved by grace and not by works so that no one should boast. And so what they do is they get, they get that verse and then they go, well, if you're telling us you need to do this as well, then you're advocating works. No, we're saved by grace through faith. And that grace, this is describing what that grace is. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What we're studying here is describing what that grace is. Because if you just say we're saved by grace, not by works, you're advocating you've got to do all these things to, to stay saved and all this, then you're advocating works. No, this is what grace is. You've got a really watered-down understanding of what grace is. If you think that walking in holiness is a work, the grace is to walk in the Spirit, to stay in the Spirit every single day and to not depart from the Spirit. That's why they say, get up every day. In the Bible, Paul says, I die daily. I get up. I, I put on the Spirit. I, I walk in the Spirit. I put on the whole armour of God. I walk in that way. It's a daily decision we have to make. It's not something that happens vicariously without our doing anything. We just wake up and suddenly we're in the Spirit. That's why it's so important to pray in the morning. so important to get up and pray and say, Lord, cover me now. Fill me. Clothe me with Jesus Christ. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to walk in you today. Help me to walk the faith. Help me to stay focused on the Spirit. And then, of course, you pray for the things that you're going to be doing in that day. Help me to, help me to do them well. And then the Spirit goes with you that day. Does that make sense? Yes. And that is what grace is. Grace is not just you're saved no matter what you do. That's, that's ridiculous if it was like that, you know. So Ephesians 4.23 says, And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be constantly renewed. Does it say you are renewed? Or does it say to be constantly renewed? What does constantly mean? Always. Always. Perpetual. Always. Regularly. You know, you constantly renew yourself... In the spirit of your mind. And I just want to bring something up about this. Having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. So we've got to have a fresh mental and spiritual attitude every day. And I like how the amplified brings that all out. That every day you have a fresh mental attitude and spiritual attitude. It's got to be fresh daily. You don't eat yesterday's bread. Well, you do sometimes eat yesterday's bread. <laughs> but in the Bible, with... It's a bad example. In the Bible, the manna had to be picked up fresh every day. Because the next, if you picked it up, uh, if you saved it uh, from the day before, the manna would be filled with maggots. All right? So you've got to have fresh manna, fresh spirit every single day. Now, Paul is telling us clearly to renew ourselves constantly. Consecration in Christ is not a one time event, it is a daily renewing in the spirit of our mind. Now, this is interesting. In in the Bible, if you see a capital S for spirit, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you see a little s, it's talking about the spirit within man. Okay? And, and look up here. What is the spirit here? It's the little s. So that's the spirit of our mind. So consecration in Christ is not a one-time event. It is a daily renewing in the spirit of our mind. That means... The Holy Spirit doesn't just grab you and fill you in the morning. You choose to be filled with the spirit of your own mind. It's a reminder you've got to give yourself. So you could probably have a little reminder on your bedside table when you wake up, things to do. Renew yourself in the spirit of your mind and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you today.
1: Does
0: it make sense? I thought that was an interesting point. Paul said, I die daily. What he means is that he dies to the lusts and pulls of the flesh and consecrates his all to God daily. Every day he decides to walk in Christ, every day. So this is not a work to receive our redemption, right? You don't get redeemed because because of your being faithful to grace or faithful in grace, right? You're redeemed because of what Jesus did for you. And the fruit that you have been redeemed is that you do walk in grace, but you don't get to heaven and say, "Look how well I walked in grace." And Jesus said, well, "We only walked in grace because I enabled you, and I kept on making sure that you walked in it, right but we still have to decide to walk in it but that's why some who get in the kingdom of God are going to be esteemed to at a higher level than others in the kingdom of God. Now these people that are esteemed won't be esteemed so to the point where they boast about how good they are. Actually they will be the most humble men. They said Moses who was the most esteemed of the Old Testament was the most humble man on earth. God chose the weakest, humblest, not necessarily weak in the sense of physically he was strong, but he was weak in himself. He didn't even think he could do it. He said, send someone else when God called him at the burning bush. He says, I can't do this. He didn't believe that he was anything special. And they said he was the most humble man on earth. Yet God esteemed him to the highest position. And that's who get esteemed in the kingdom of God. The least among us will be first in the kingdom. And that's because he knows if they're that humble, they can be entrusted with that level of authority and they won't boast. Does that make sense? But there is a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. There'll be some that will get in and they would have done, like Paul has got on a throne beside Jesus. Yet you go down the line, you get those people that, you know, deathbed confessions. They've turned to Jesus five minutes before they died because a pastor prayed with them and led them to the Lord and that person repented with all his heart and then he died. Right? Right? Now they won't get a throne in heaven, but they'll get into heaven. So there's uh, and and there's all those in between. So this is not a work to receive our redemption by walking in holiness. It is part of the fruit we should bear as believers in Christ. So without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now that scripture there tells us a lot. When you're not living a life uh, of holiness. You've got to be careful. You know, I'm not saying I'm the most holy man on earth or anything like that. All I'm saying is that I strive daily to try to live holy and if I don't, I repent as soon as the Lord convicts me or when my mind convicts me, which is usually the Lord's promptings anyway. But we, uh, the word is clear. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You can't water that down, can you? They'll say, oh, hang on, it's not by works. It's got nothing to do with works. This is grace. Holiness is evidence of grace. This is where the confusion lies in the church, in many of the evangelical churches around the world, the Protestant churches and Catholic church and Orthodox church. These, this confusion is, is everywhere, everywhere. Ephesians 4.24 this is the last verse we're looking at and it says put on the new nature put on the new nature the regenerated self the regenerate self created in God's image Godlike in true righteousness and holiness we are his image bearers remember that we are God's image bearers we are to put on the new nature the Ephesian Christians are told to put on the new nature the regenerated nature if you're regenerated you know if it it means that you're completely renewed from within everything about you is is new in Christ you might not feel it physically yet that's the imperishable body but you do sense that God's done a deep work in you because I don't know why I don't want to do the things I used to do anymore I can't explain it I don't want to do them and why do I feel conviction when I start getting lured that way again it's because God's on you Do you know what I'm saying? So put on, he tells us to put it on. It's a decision we make. The the new nature, the regenerated nature, which is the nature God gives us when we walk in the Spirit. He gives us that nature. As we walk in the Spirit, it's handed to us. We have a new nature. That is the nature which is created in God's image, and this image is truly righteous and truly holy. And that's the image that we all should have... Aim to walk in and be and put on and be every day amen that 's god 's true image that 's what we're created to be. That was his intention at first when he first created man in the Garden of Eden, it was he would be his image bearer, but the moment they ate from the knowledge of good and evil and they understood that there 's good and there 's evil and there's all these things and you know the, all this, the sin nature became evident. His, that side of his image, that uh, grace, that, that, um, that holiness, all those things were removed from Adam and Eve. And that's where sin nature came in to men. And, and from that day on, it's been a, a steady uh, progression towards the coming of the Lord, who's going to help us to come back to where Adam was supposed to be, you know, bring us back to the original design, so over and over in the scriptures, they exhort us, the believers, to walk in holiness and to turn away from sin, yet over and over we hear the doctrine that we advocate a work salvation by preaching on these scriptures which clearly reference this. Over and over, I'm, I'm told not by, you know, I'm getting more positive than negative, but Occasion, I get these guys. You're, you're advocating a work salvation. They listen to ten minutes of one sermon, and that's what they they shut it off. Oh, that's what he's that's what he's advocating, and they type it in simply because they do not understand what grace is. That's all it is. They don't understand what grace is. You can't preach except for what the scriptures say, and I think you can't go wrong if you preach, you know, like a half a chapter in one hit, half a chapter of the book of Ephesians, like we've just done now or at least a good section of it. If you preach a good section of it and, you, and you've and you been preached, we've preached right through, we're doing a um, expositional study of the book of Ephesians, you can't help but really understand what the author's trying to say. But if you just preach scripture here, scripture there, pull them from all over the place and you never really do an expositional study on something, you, you're guaranteed you're going to really mix it up, especially if you're influenced by others that have been doing that for years and they've been influenced by others. You've got these generations of... Confusion in their teaching. And there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of it. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus commands obedience. He commands his people to walk in the spirit. He demands holiness of his bride. He's coming, at his second coming, he's coming to collect his bride. We are his bride. Now, he doesn't want to get here and collect a filthy bride. Filled with sin. Filled with corruption and debauchery and all the sins of the world, thick in the bride. You know, it's like it, it'd be like the bride would be standing there like this with this filthy dress. Hang on, Jesus. You know, that's not what Jesus is coming to collect. He's coming to collect a beautiful, spotless, unblemished bride, glorious in the sight of God. And that's who we are. And that's who we are. We gotta be. Free of sin. I'm not saying you won't sin, I'm just saying you've got to walk in the spirit. And the more you walk in the spirit, the less you sin. It's like anything the more you practice the piano, the less mistakes you make. The less you practice the piano, the more mistakes you make. So I'm looking at my piano students here. You know what I'm saying? And past piano students over there. Um, But It goes hand in hand with anything. So if you walk in the Spirit and you continually walk in the Spirit, you practice it daily, you exercise, you outwork it in your life, you will get holier and holier and holier. Amen? Mm -hmm. Jesus died to save us and to make his people holy. Peter tells us to be holy because he is holy. You when you get told, be holy because he is holy, don't go, oh, well, you know, you can't be holy. You're joking. You know, I can't resist my sin nature. You've got to be joking. This, is, this guy is telling me, he's, he says he can't, he will never be sinless, so he's not going to even try. You know, he's just going to live under the grace of God now. Don't feel, he doesn't want to feel condemned anymore. I'm thinking, well, if you're feeling condemned, you've got the whole thing out of whack. You're not really thinking about it right. You know, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't feel condemned. And if you do sin, that what he calls condemnation, is what I call conviction. You feel a conviction for it, and so you repent. But if he's feeling condemned, it's because he's not repenting. He's not saying, God, please forgive me and help me to overcome this. He's just, ex- he just doesn't like that feeling, so he doesn't want to feel it. So he's just saying, I'm building a relationship with God, I'm living under grace. La, 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 la. Off he goes. But he's got no concept of what that grace is that he's supposed to be living under. It's his version. Or some of these ministers that he's been listening to, it's their version of grace. So the true Christian should wake daily and be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and let the Spirit guide them into holiness and obedience to the will of God. And this should be the all-encompassing goal of their life. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message, and I th- I thank you that uh, you spoke through me today. And I just pray that this message will will uh, reach many far and wide, and also just our hearts, Lord, will be changed. Everyone in this room, their their hearts will be changed, and uh, and the direction of their life will be somewhat, uh, you know, corrected or, or changed or whatever. Lord, just um, help us to all be affected by this positively. And help us daily to walk in the Spirit. Help it to be the decision of our day. Help our minds to focus on that each morning as we pray to you, Lord, that we would, we would just be determined to walk as you walked, Lord Jesus, and be under the grace of God. And, Lord, that we will resist that sin nature that keeps on popping its ugly head up. And help us to resist it. And the Word says, if you resist the devil, he will flee. It's not to fight the devil, but to resist the devil. So as we resist the sin nature, the devil flees. And so I just pray that you will every day help us to be more and more faithful to you, faithful to uh, uh, your will for our lives, and direct our paths, I pray in your mighty name. And bless us this week in the name of Jesus. Amen. listening to this sermon if you search rob cartledge in the itunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion truth judgment and eternity apologetics 101 critical doctrine and end times feel free to check them out